Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Paz Arroyo. She's a quality leader at DPR Construction. So Paz, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me, Tad. So yeah, we had Thomas, your colleague on the show, and he was very, very uh, complimentary of your work within the education side of the construction industry. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I enjoy working with Thomas. He's a great colleague. I've learned so much about uh, construction through him too. So it's a great guy to work with. Yeah. And, and I did some research and I noticed that you spent a lot of time thinking, writing, I guess, educating on collaboration within construction. Yes. Yes. I definitely do that. I <laughs> use a lot of time. I've written a lot of papers around this idea of collaboration and making decisions together. I do have a group that I founded with Annette and with Randy. All three of us have PhDs, so we we like to philosophize and have conversations about how things are going. But at the same time, we, I mean, all three of us also work in, in construction companies. So we have the practical experience and, and I think there's so much to share with the world. And, and I see that as our contribution to the industry. So it's really important for us. What are certain things that aren't working? And then we could possibly talk about certain solutions or ideas around Mm -hmm. improvement. Yeah. So specifically in collaboration, and I mean, when we started with decision-making, there's a lot of how things have worked in the past. So if you think about all the bidding process or when you select, when you get selected, and and, and this is really important because traditionally you have to make a bid, especially if you're a public owner in construction, it's seen like it is transparent to ask three or more people to make a bid and then you're supposed to choose the cheapest one. And that's the best practice in the industry. And when you start looking at how those decisions are made and and that's, I mean, you're using, especially if it's a public owner, you're using money that's from everybody, right? It's money that is our tax money. And, and this happens all over the world. It's not just the US. I'm from Chile. And as I said, I work with these colleagues that work in Germany and Denmark and have also international experience. This is a problem that we are, think we're doing, we're being transparent and efficient when we choose the cheapest thing in construction. It And by thing, it can be, it can be a material, it could be a building system, it could be the whole project, the whole design The we, we try to pick and choose without knowing, understanding the consequences of what the values are. And when we don't collaborate, we're just very narrow-minded and see certain parts of what is the impact of the project. So, for example, one of the uh, Randy works with tunnels or with big infrastructure projects that we did, you know, you're tracing where the where a tunnel is going to ha- 
go through the middle of a big city. There's a lot of stakeholders engaged in that, a lot of different impacts. And if we're just focusing on what's the cheapest thing, uh, we're not going to get the best value for society, the, the important, the most benefit for the environment and for the users of the infrastructure, wherever it is. Same happens in a hospital. You know, if you don't consider, DPR does a lot of hospital projects, you know, if we're not considering how the the nurses are working, how the, the doctors are working, how the patients feel like, how the neighbors are coordinated, and we're just using our tax money to choose the cheapest design, it's like, it's not going to be a good result. It's not going to be the best that we can give and it's not going to be good in the long term and also we also most of the times when we think about what's the cheapest we think on the cheapest short term not in the cheapest long term because if you factor in things like operations and cost of maintaining a building your decisions can totally shift on what's more important so there's a lot there I don't know. Let me know if this that's too detailed or if it, it's coming across. You know, there's lots of considerations. There's lots of stakeholders. How do you start to get to the point of collaboration? Because everyone has their interests. So how 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 do you bridge that? Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because you have to create a system where you allow for people to collaborate, to allow for stakeholders to to bring their perspectives. And that's not something that we we typically do in construction. You know, we it's but but we know it can be done. We know there there are good project examples where you have participation in Europe for public projects. There's a lot of requirements of participations. Well, here too in the US we have it depends on the of the state. In Chile not much. I mean, there's not really a lot of requirement for participation, but but it's more like some owners do it proactively because they know they will find resistance if they don't do that from the beginning. But we specifically have been focusing on our research on understanding how to create, how to see these mechanisms, which roles and responsibilities owners, designers, architects, and users have. You know, and also looking at the from the lens of even if you have everybody in the room, a lot of these infrastructure projects are going to be leaving for 50 years or more. So the people that's going to be affected, it's not even alive now. So and the consequences for the environment are also going to be way beyond our time. So so there's moral or an ethical responsibility of putting yourself into somebody else's shoes and think about the future. So that's really up to us to do that. So there has to be a willingness to to collaborate and to try to to do this type of collaboration. So so that's where a lot of education comes because we're not enforcing that. <laughs> we don't have we don't have the power to say this is how things should work in the world, but we can show it can be done. There are tools out there that can help you and you can do it in a way that's efficient. We focus a lot on writing about uh, specific lean methodologies and tools that can help you with that. You know, when you think about considering multiple alternatives, not just going with the first design that comes 
to mind. We talked about set-based design when you explore all the the potential alternatives and you know with the use of technology you can do a lot of more exploration mm. way faster than that in tradition traditional you know construction there's a lot of cultural issues just there on presenting multiple alternatives you know that from the architecture practice and, and education not always you're going to be encouraged to show all your cards. Sometimes I go, not everybody, of course, but there's not a lot of incentives in trying to show multiple designs. It, instead, in, in architecture education, they are taught to defend their design. They're criticized by professors when they do their design st- studios and you have to defend your project and you're typically you know, making one mock-up and you defend that. You're not showing multiple projects because it's seen like it's going to take longer. But when you look at how you know the manufacturing industry or product development lean world works is that you create a lot of different alternatives and you learn from them as fast as you can and then you commit to something and then you open again you explore new designs and and that actually reduces the amount of iteration that happens Mm. in total you're suggesting using technology to create alternatives and then running cost-effective simulations and collaboration discussions to learn to educate the final choice. Yeah, you can definitely use technology. You can just present alternatives. And then the other thing that we we focus a lot is on avoiding biases because we all come with our own perspectives thinking of what is important. But when we create the design alternatives, that's where the real trade-offs can be discussed. And that's when we can agree. We can agree, for example, to give you uh, the other big method we've been researching and testing how it works and proving that it's more effective to than other methods. It's uh, choosing by advantages. So it's this idea of focusing on what are the, the differences between the alternatives. So for example, I was helping a project, a hospital project, and they were choosing an HVAC system. And I had the fortune to be there with the doctors, with the nurses, with the mechanical engineer, with the general contractor, trade partner, like, you know, everybody in a, in a big room. And you had all the perspectives and the mechanical engineer will be thinking about, well, I, I can give you, I can design whatever you guys want. Just tell me what you want. You know, the guys that were in charge of the budget were just looking at the, like the cost. The guys that were in charge of operation were looking at how, how hard it is to maintain this building. And the nurses and then one of the nurses speak up and said, well, I don't care about any of that. The most important thing for me is air quality and how, like this is a hospital and this is how, you know, people should, I mean, we cannot spread out diseases and stuff. So yes, 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 yes to everybody. <laughs> you know, all of those things are important. But when you look at the alternatives, actually, it was interesting because there was no difference in terms of air quality. They were all great because obviously it was a hospital. So that was not the differentiator to make the decision. 
So you don't have to waste your time discussing of whether maintenance is more important than air quality or, or you know, wherever else anybody's important. When you actually look at the context and look at the alternatives and you see the real differences, the advantages, then it's much easier to come to an agreement. Yeah. So it's it sounds like exploring wide, you know, understanding different perspectives, prioritizing, and I guess moving forward, right? I guess iterating and trying stuff. Yeah. It's getting clarity around the trade-offs too. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really important. Getting clarity about the trade-offs that are based on the context that you, on the real alternatives you can do. You know, you don't want to agree on what's better in general because that's that's no no necessity to do that and that's where a lot of people get scared to include a lot of people because they do not know how to manage all that information and how to you know prioritize in 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 the sense that okay everybody has opinions and you're never going to change that people will have different opinions you know but but you can see and agree on on what are the performance of things that can be measured or you can defer to the expert to speak up and say those things so the other people listen to that so so there has to be a structure it's not like let's get everybody in the room and let's just talk until we come to an agreement magically you know there are mechanisms and tools that you have to implement if you want to be efficient with that. Yeah. For those that aren't clear on that, um, what are some of the mechanisms and tools and stuff like that, that people can rely on to create that environment? Yeah. So in terms of tools, choosing by advantages, that's a important tool to study. And there are several steps. I'm not going to go through all of them, but definitely have multiple alternatives on the table, understand what how they perform each one of them, then you also have to be explicit on what's valued, what are the criteria, what is preferred about the, those alternatives. And then you can define advantages based on that criteria. And then at the end, I mean, after you understand the value and the combined value of those things, you put the money, but the money, not just thinking on the first cost, but also long-term cost. So it's, there's a whole process and it, it's, I've been super lucky in my career to be in places where this can actually be implemented and I have seen seen it working and it's really really great to see how you know you see a group of people that they all come from different places and they all have their own perspectives and then at the end of like a big decision they can all understand yes i understand this is why we're doing this maybe it wasn't my favorite alternative but i understand why we're moving in that direction you know yeah yeah because you know you can't make everyone happy but at least if the it's explained then maybe there's some level of acceptance? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and there's definitely more acceptance and more, and I've tested this also. This is one of the fun things I did when, after I finished my PhD, I went went to, to Chile and I was a professor for a couple of years. And I put people in rooms like with different methods, you know, mm. and measure how much time they will take to make decisions and how satisfied they will be with the result and all those things. So 
it's not just my opinion. I've tested it in real people, you know. Uh, so it, it's really interesting. I mean, I don't think how much in construction projects you cannot, like it's really hard to test those things because you, you don't have project A and B and you cannot let one project go totally wrong and don't do nothing. I mean, so <laughs> you just leave them, you know. Oh, you do not know how to, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you have to. So, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess you're right. You can't let it go completely bad. Right. To prove your point, right? <laughs> you can do that. So, but you can academia. You can do that, and you can you know bring practitioners and do experiments and put them in rooms and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So. I mean, I guess <laughs> let's say you're part of a construction company and you want to make a difference, right? Mm -hmm. Where would they start? Like, you know, would they approach management? Would they learn themselves? Which sites would they go to? How, it, it's a big area, I, I can see. Mm -hmm. How do they start to unpack this and try to be effective? Yeah, I'd start for yourself. I mean, there's no other way. You can start convincing others if you don't understand what you're trying to do first. And if you're not convinced, there's a better way. So I think educating yourself, it's a big big part and test with little things. I mean, I wouldn't go for the most difficult, most <laughs> challenging, you know, decision you have to make as a company or as a project. You know, if you start with inconsequential things and you get some good practice there and use, yeah, little by little, I, I don't think. Not, not the uh, biggest project in the company, just some small thing to show proof of concept. Yes, definitely. Look for something. I, I that's how I started when I did my. I, I worked at Gensler as an academic intern when I was doing my PhD, and they let me try some stuff in projects. And I would look, you know, for okay, where project was happening there, you know, and I could, and I will look for okay, a lot of different because you can question anything, you know. You you could say why does the building looks the way it looks, you know, why. Are we using this structure? Why are we picking these materials? Why and and I would ask a lot of those questions. I will be I was very annoying, of course, <laughs> for other people to work with. But then I convinced them to do to let me try this with very small decisions, you know, so things that wouldn't break the project if they didn't have control over or anything like that. Yeah. And so I mean, besides selecting a small thing. What tips do you have to persuade people, right? Do you have any things that you've learned to yeah. be persuasive and even allowing the smaller trial to occur? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of questions that, I mean, do you know how you make your decisions? Like, how do you make your decisions? Are you conscious of that? I mean, I'm happy to talk about that. I always ask like... Yeah, oh. T tell me about that. I mean, that's a very good question because, mm -hmm. you know, not every company has a decision-making structure or at the project level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so typically, I mean, you get blank stares or, you or, or you know, you can point out stuff, okay, why does the building looks like this? And you can pick on things and they will tell you, I did this uh, on, on my research, I wasn't here. I don't know. I mean, this was picked by somebody else, you know, or just this is what the owner wanted. I don't know. Or, I mean, 
and then you can go also in personal, uh, ask them personally how you make decisions. And then the other thing that it's important that people don't realize, and this is something that Jim Shur said, that the most important decision you're going to make in your life is the decision on how to make your decisions. Mm. So, <laughs> so it's a sort of a meta well, skill, you know. Do you have an opinion on or insight on what is a productive way to make decisions or or is it more about being intentional? No, yes, we have insights on how to make decisions. It is about being intentional, but I'm talking about collaborative decisions, decisions mm-hmm. that are consequential and decisions that you want to, you know, have a process. For example, and, and the other thing that my other point was that typically you understand that decisions have consequences, right? You understand that that it's important. You're making decisions and your decisions, I mean, where do you work? What do you study? Where do you live? Do you have kids or not? What All those things have consequences in your life, you know, but we don't necessarily ask ourselves how we made those decisions or are you aware of how, like, like we always go for what we felt like. And at a personal level, it's it's important, but as a society or as a company, you know, when you think the other good example, it's elections. The way that you choose a president in this country, it's based on a voting system. That it's a method to make a decision, you know? And and there are certain certain rules about how you how you weight those votes, because it's not every single vote. It has the same weight because it depends on the representation, the state that you have, and that's how things work, you know. So have we ever, and obviously the way that method that, that you use, if you if you have the same voting system and you use different methods, you can end up with different candidates being chosen to be president. And that has happened in the history of this country. So does it make a difference? It does. That's a very specific example, but... I don't know how much people think about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. So you talked about uh, sort of uh, the system, but I mean, is it ultimately, you know, are you advocating for consensus or are you advocating like how, how like you said, you know, on a construction project, how should it be weighed? Should it ultimately be one person that's accountable? Like what, what are the parameters we're dealing with? I am helping, I'm interested in, I'm not saying every single decision always have to be by consensus, because maybe that's impractical, but if it's a consequential decision where you don't have all the information and you cannot, one person cannot predict all the consequences and it's, it is it is an important decision, you should consider a collaborative process, you know? And I think a lot of people First of all, it's not aware they are making decisions that shouldn't be making on their own on a silo. And then if they know they have to make a decision with more people, they're afraid of coming up and saying, I have to involve others because asking others and not knowing how to manage that, it's like we're never going to make a decision. We're going to be, you know, always, you know, it's going to be chaos. So I'm also uh, helping people understand how they can do that. And that's, I've done that in a lot of case studies and publications explaining, you know, step-by-step processes and that sort of thing. So there's a, there's a decision that we miss all the time. We make a 
like thousands of decisions, small decisions every day, and there's no way you're going to sit down and write them down. Like you couldn't function, you know, you couldn't like, you need to trust your gut too. I mean, it's not that it's one or the other, but, but there is a differentiation that you have to do. And for obviously big construction projects that involve many people, it, it will be wise that you consider more, uh, more perspectives. That's at least my point. So very good questions. You're making me <laughs> really, really think what yeah. the intent is. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. It's a very interesting topic. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you, but you want to share? Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe I said it, but it's not that. I think one of the problems we have in the industry too is that we're not a very diverse industry. And when we talk about making decisions, also, I mean, at DPR, we've been super lucky. We have this bias awareness training that everybody has to go through and they give us very practical advice on if you're in a room and you look around and all the people look like you uh, you're probably not done a very good job at you know including others right and when you look at you know at not including people for example if you're in, not including enough uh, women in the design of a hospital well it's not going to be great for women <laughs> you know or if you don't include old people if you don't include you know there's so many different groups and and ways to think about inclusion and diversity i don't want to make it specific for one group but but you know you can go through asking yourself am i in a group in which there is if everybody agrees, there's probably not, I mean, not also not a culture of expressing your your concerns or your your opinions in a free way. There's no psychological safety, right? So that's also very important for decision making. And as a leader, if you're in the position of making these decisions, you, you can you can drive the change. It's not something that necessarily the people that is not involved in the decision can change it's really i think that's there's a lot that that it's in the hands of people that already has the power to make these decisions yeah very nice well no i i um very good points and uh yeah i mean if uh, is there any other information you want to pass on in terms of resources that you have or or things that you want to direct people to yeah yeah we do have a web page it's called Collab Decisions, and you can go there. We're publishing our research there. We have it organized some somehow by different topics and on decision-making methods. On there's a paper we have, you know, on on the structure, and roles and responsibilities. Uh, that's a new publication that's going to be presented in IGLC. The International Group for Lean Construction. There's an old paper where I talk about rhetoric and decision making too, like how you can use rhetorical tools to connect to this process. There's so much that you can explore. There are a lot of tools that if, again, if you want to start somewhere and educate yourself or you want to see practical examples, there's a lot of case studies there. We also have some videos from conference presentations and things like that. We're working in a book. We've been working on a book forever. So I hope to have a book someday. I don't know when is that going to happen, but awesome. making an effort. 
Well, it's great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that Thomas introduced me to you and thank you for uh, sharing your knowledge. Oh, thank you so much, Tads, for the invite. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.